Once again, welcome to our summer sermon series on 2 Peter in the book of Jude called Tough and Tender. I hope that you were able to uh, join us for the the first six weeks, which focused on 2 Peter, and these last two weeks are going to focus in on uh, that second book, the book of Jude. Now tell me if you've ever heard a statement like this before. I've been meaning to reach out to you for for some time. I had wanted to call, but when I heard that news... I knew I had to. Like, have you ever had a phone call like that? A friend, a family member, someone you know, someone you're close to, acknowledging they had wanted to reach out, maybe wanted to write a message or send a text or give you a call, but, but then they heard that was going on. They heard that was what you were going through. They, they heard about that event or something that transpired, and it compelled them to reach out to contact you, speak up. Like the odds are pretty good if you've lived long enough uh, that you've had to to say that at some point and maybe do that at some point. Let me give you an example. Like maybe you had a friend. When you were in college, they were maybe your roommate, someone who was on one of your sports team and you saw them going through a really difficult time and you saw what it was doing to them and, and you didn't know what to do and you thought about it and you held on to it, but eventually you got to the point where you reached out to their parents because you had to. You, you needed them to know what was going on so they could get help. Maybe it was at work. Like behind the scenes, you heard all the gossip, you heard the stories, you heard the, the things that were taking place, what was being done, what was being said about that person, and at their expense, and what it was doing to their reputation, and eventually it got to the point where it was maybe affecting their job or their ability to move up the ladder and get a promotion they deserve, and, and you felt like you had to go into the boss and say something. It was on your heart. Or maybe this is your experience. Like you stood alongside of one of your siblings who lost their spouse. And during a funeral week and maybe the few days after, the the overwhelming amount of love and support and time kept that person strong. But but over time, you, you saw that sibling of yours begin to isolate more, disconnect more, choose not to come to family events. And so you had to call up your your family members and your friends and say, we need to go and we need to do something because we're concerned. I had to. Like you've probably been on the the giving end of those words and and I pray that when you were on the receiving end, you, you understood and accepted why they were expressed from someone you loved, someone who cared, someone who had your back, someone who had your support. I know I have experienced both sides of it and, and the need for it. And that's really what this book of Jude is all about. God felt compelled to inspire Jude to speak into something. God had to, and therefore Jude had to. Now here's the thing about Jude. You might say to yourself, Pastor, why do we have to go through this book? Like the odds of good are good that 
a good number of you have not even, even read it. You might not even know where it is in the Bible. Well, some of you might know where it is because you're doing our reading plan for the summer on uh, Peter, John, and Jude. <laughs> uh, some of you did your homework for today. I appreciate that. But most people, when they read the New Testament, love the Gospels, the story of Jesus, unpack the, the, the great truths, the doctrine, the teachings of the Apostle Paul. You, you love reading the books of Peter and John because they were some of the inner circle of Jesus. You, you want their insight, want to get to know them better. And once you get through those books of, of Peter and then John, you get to, to this book called Jude. You don't know who it is, and you turn the page to see how long it is, and you realize when you turn the page, there's only one page, and Revelation is right there, and you skip it. And that's why we had to. Because there are things in Jude that 2,000 years ago, Christians needed to hear and still need to hear today. And much like Peter, there were challenges and issues that these Christians were facing that he's going to unpack, and we're going to unpack it over two weeks. Now, now here's my disclaimer to tough and tender week number seven. 95% of Jude is tough. <laughs> and about 5% is tender. And I'm going to do my best to share a few tender words with you today, but Pastor Bill gets all the tender next week because that's at the end of the book, and I get all the tough. And if any of you know our personalities, you're probably going, that's kind of like a dog and its master, right? Pastor Tim, the tough guy. Pastor Bill, the smiley, happy, positive guy. We didn't align it that way. It just happened to fall that way. I was supposed to get both of them. <laughs> but I want to share with you the tough side of Jude and the so important side to our spiritual lives. Now, before we get into it, if you've never read it, maybe you don't know it, if you've never uh, tried to unpack and digest uh, this book, uh, maybe a little bit about the background, the author who he was writing to. It, it's given to us in a few statements in verse 1. Here's Jude chapter 1, verse 1. Jude only has one chapter. A lot of people say you don't have to identify it by chapters, but it's just kind of the way our brain works. So this is Jude 1, verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James. Uh, the author identifies himself by name, and he gives us uh, two insights about why he is qualified to write this and, and, and a little bit of his family connection and, and what he wanted those hearers to know, maybe what they already knew. Uh, Jude, a servant of Christ Jesus. Fairly similar to words Paul has used before, a dullus, a servant, someone who's under, willingly uh, desires to serve that person. Uh, Jude calls himself someone who's under Jesus Christ. By grace, through faith, I, I serve, serve Jesus Christ, which is why I'm writing. As a servant of Christ, what, what's coming from me is actually his word. And a brother of James. That's really the insight that helps us know about this author. If you're unfamiliar with James, you might gravitate to James, the one in the inner circle of Jesus. Three disciples, that's not him. He was already dead by this point. He was the first one of the disciples to die a martyr's death. And James was a fairly common name back in Jesus' day. And so for Jude to identify himself as the brother of James and not give anything else, uh, most experts, first century theologians and historians and, and everyone since, have identified this James as the leader of the early Christian church. The James who was called a half-brother of Jesus Christ. So James, the Bible tells us, was one of Jesus' 
siblings, Mary and Joseph's biological children. And Jude identifies himself as a brother of James. The fact that he doesn't give any other qualifier helps us understand that most likely these who were getting the letter, the audience, were people who knew who James was and understood the connection point. So most likely these are Jewish uh, converts, uh, people who were Hebrews by birth and converted to Christianity by faith. So probably Palestine, like the area of Jerusalem, that, that area. So it's a different audience than Peter's audience. And here's the thing why, why I believe that's important. Because what Jude was about to, to write, what he was compelled to write, his have-to reason was something he was passionate about because of his life story. When you hear that Jude self-identified as James's brother, you go, then go back to the Gospels and know that just like James, Jude would have been one of those in the circle of people who doubted Jesus as God, who didn't believe that his brother was the Savior, that, that lacked faith at one point, but by the power of God and the Holy Spirit, he came to faith. And his life was changed, and he knew how important the truth of God's word was to him, how important it was to these people, and if lost, how dangerous it would be, not just for them, as Zach talked about last week, Jesus' words that talked about our own personal salvation, but losing the faith, the truth of God's word, would damage generations to come. Because he knew that at one time he was lost, but now had been found. And he didn't want them to end up lost. And he wanted others to be found. So with all that in the background, what is Jude's had to? Well, we get a little insight, and I'm not going to pack all the verses today, but I want to take you to ch uh, chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, the first parts of them, that give us some insight. Dear friends, so there's a relationship. Although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt compelled to write. I'm going to come back to what he felt compelled to write because it's right there in the middle and sandwiched there. But this is insightful. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. There's the aha. Here's the impetus for the writing. Something has happened and something has transpired for these Christians within their church, within the Christian community at large, that has snuck in under the radar. Like in today's world, it's hard for a storm not to get picked up on the radar at least 10 minutes, 20 minutes, maybe two, two to three hours before it crosses through the valley, right? Like we watch the weather forecast. It, it doesn't really slip by us. But spiritually speaking, false teachers had crept in and slipped, uh, secretly slipped in under the radar. Which is why Jude was compelled to write and what he's going to write about. And I don't want you to overlook that first part. Because you know what James said, or Jude said he wished he was writing about, what he had wanted to write about? I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share. Like I was eager to write to you about Jesus, about the gospel, about the cross, about Christmas, about the, the song the angels sang, peace on earth, goodwill to men, about the, the good news that the angels proclaimed on, on Easter Sunday. He's not here, he has risen. The, the promises of God from the Old Testament fulfilled in the New Testament. Like, 
I want to tell you about Jesus, what he did, what it means for you, what it will mean for you in eternity. I would like to write a book to you about that and have that conversation. But unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to. I had to write to you because something else, something dangerous, something important needs to be discussed. I had to. I was compelled to. And I don't want you to lose insight on that that phrase because 2,000 years ago, these false teachers secretly slipped in. And and I think this is important for Christians because you know what I think all of us fall prey to? Nothing will ever get past me. Like, it won't happen to me. Like, I won't be tricked into a trend. And maybe, just maybe, if I I don't see something, I'll at least know to ask the pastor or dig into my Bible or or know where to go to find the the truth. It won't slip past me. Like, I won't fall prey to it. I'll always see it coming. And I get it. Because I'm prone to that. I mean, as a pastor, I, I probably need to be more aware of it, if not at the height of awareness of it, because I'm the one up here preaching it. Because that would be so dangerous for you. <laughs> and there's a part of me that always finds myself saying, I don't know how that happened. And when I think that, here's what I would have you remember. The devil is known as the one who deceives. Like it's in his name. Like when you read Genesis chapter 3, there's a part of your brain that goes, no, Eve, do not fall for that. How can you not see this coming? Like snake, serpent telling you that God Almighty, the, the one that you know loves you and made you, is trying to keep something from you? Like, no! Like you're watching a movie. And she does. Because there's something appealing. And you let your guard down, the radar doesn't catch it. And there's so much danger. And I think Jude gives us some insight as to to how and in what way false teachers and others slip in. I'm not going to go through all of Jude chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. But jump ahead to verse 16, and there's two words in this phrase that describe them through Jude's lens of what he knew of them. These people are... Grumblers and fault finders, they follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. I think that last phrase gives a whole lot of insight as to why they might have secretly snuck in, especially when you see what they were teaching and what they were selling and and, and what was going on. It's that last phrase, they, they flatter others. Like you know the phrase, flattery will get you everywhere. Like I tell my wife, she looks beautiful. And I tell my wife, thank you for dinner. And I tell my wife, thank you for all you do around the house. Honey, you are so great. Like, you're an amazing mom, an amazing grandma. And right now she's smiling over there going, my husband. Flattery gets you somewhere. And when I roll my eyes and I don't flatter her, I get in trouble. Or how about at work? Like, you all know who it is in your team or in your office that you work with. That kisses up to the boss. Where does it get them? Best shifts, best hours, 
earlier raises, better promotions. <laughs> Flattery gets you everywhere. For those of you who are kids, you know how this works at school. None of you are those kids, but you had a classmate who was that kid who, who always brought the apple to the teacher, who, who always was willing to volunteer. Ooh, me, 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 the one who, who got privileges and perks, never got in trouble, never got called out, got the best jobs and assignments. Like, flattery gets you places. Because you know what flattery does? It causes people to overlook your flaws. It causes people to give you benefit of the doubt. It causes people to say, I know, but they're really a nice person. And while in life, you know, there might not be a great deal of damage in that, spiritually speaking, there's a whole lot. Because once someone has flattered you and you've let your guard down and you're convinced there's something that they're not, spiritually you are opening yourself up to, to this, Jude said. Because here's the nuts and the bolts, the crux of the matter, the, the reason why he had to write, was compelled to write, because the things that they were teaching, the things that were slipping under the radar, the things that those Christians were not catching was endangering the very core of Christianity, the central truth of, of what saves, what gets you to heaven, the only way in. If you missed last week's sermon that Zach preached, that narrow door is found in this verse. They deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. They deny that Jesus Christ is almighty God, all-powerful, can do anything, ruler of heaven and earth, creator of everything, sovereign. He calls the shots. His word is truth. And they deny him as Lord, the only way to heaven. Like somehow they've secretly slipped their way in. It's probably by flattery, but understand they're doing it for their own advantage. But what they're doing to their own advantage is to your detriment spiritually and eternally. They're denying Jesus Christ as God and Lord, the only way to heaven. That core truth, if lost, means you're lost. I had to write. Otherwise, you might be endangering your soul. And maybe you caught that one and you're not buying into that one, but understand these, these wolves in sheep's clothing, the ones that have snuck in and, and slipped past the radar, are actually probably teaching them one of the most dangerous to all of Christianity, especially in the New Testament church teachings that has ever existed Paul dealt with the Romans, other Christian churches uh, that the apostles write to were dealing with it. And for 2,000 years, it hasn't changed. And it's that first one. They have perverted the grace of God. Now, you and I know what grace is, right? Undeserved love. Like, and that might be about the most and only tender moment of the sermon right now. So just stop and pause and celebrate the grace of God for a second. Take a deep breath. Whew, grace of God. Like, it means that Horrible word I spoke to my spouse the other day, Jesus paid for. It means the, the thoughts that I had that violated God's word, Jesus paid for. It means that God loves me in spite of what I've done because of what Jesus did. <laughs> and these ungodly people, read through the book of Jude, you can do it in two minutes later today. There's a section later on where Jude calls them ungodly four times in about four phrases, like, you cannot miss that these people are ungodly. They don't follow God. They don't believe in God. They don't 
like God's word. They don't obey God. They are ungodly. They, they do not believe in God and Jesus Christ. And they've turned the grace of God, the undeserved love of God, the thing that has saved us and the thing that motivates us and moves us forward to live for God, they've turned that grace of God into a license for immorality. They've perverted it. Perverted is a tough word. You know what the word perverted means by definition? To make something into something that is not. To do with something differently than it was designed to do. Perversion. They've made God's grace, this gift, free into a license to sin. In other words, I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. Which is what I want you to ponder for just a second and wrestle with. 2,000 years later, has the devil, through someone else or your own sinful thought, caused you to rationalize, justify, or, or minimize behavior and take God's grace as a license for sin? So what's your it that you know is wrong? I know it's wrong, God. But you want me to be happy, and I think I'd be happier with that person, so I'm going to get a divorce anyway. And I know you'll forgive me. I know it's wrong, God. <laughs> like, I know what you talked about, sex and sexuality, but... I really love that boy. I really love that girl. I, I can't help myself. I know it's wrong. I know you'll forgive me anyway. I know it's wrong, God, but the bottle's so good. I, I know it's wrong, God, but I'm an angry person. I can't contain it. I'm just going to let loose and, and, and verbally abuse the people in my life. You'll forgive me anyway. And I need to differentiate here between, very carefully, because there's some of you who are here right now who are living in your I know it's wrong moments, and you know it's wrong. And there's some of you who struggle with that it, and you fall. Like, let me be very clear. Sin is sin, and it is wrong, but what we're talking about here is the license to sin. You know the will of God. You know it's wrong, and your heart lights up, and you do it anyway because it's going to feel good. You're, you're drawn into it, and your afterthought is, and it's okay because God will forgive me. Jesus paid for it. No big deal. You want to know how a big deal it is to pervert the grace of God? Well, someone writing to, to Hebrews did, but here's your takeaway truth. Grace abounds when we sin. I do not want to minimize that. You need to hear that. For every sin, grace has covered it. For every sin, Jesus paid for it. Grace abounds when we sin. When we fall and, and we turn to God, when we repent, when our hearts are broken, God wants you to hear the amazing message of grace. You are forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. But grace is never a license to sin. It's never a license to sin. 
And that's what was going on for those Christians. Grace was being perverted, and they were being tricked to believe in the law didn't matter. The truth from God didn't matter. You can live however you want, do whatever you want. It'll all be okay. You'll get into heaven anyway. It's a license to sin. The author of the Hebrews who wrote to Christians just like Jude was, Hebrew Christians said this about that. Can I get the Hebrews passage on the screen? Thank you. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth that we are saved by grace, Jesus died, Jesus rose, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. I died with Christ. When people say, but pastor, I can't help it. The Bible says you can. Grace is the power. Grace is the motivation. Jesus living in you. Uh, By his power and his strength, you can live that godly life. Will you fall and fail? You are still sinful. But when you go down the path and say, I'm going to do it anyway because I'm forgiven, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and the raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Jude's Old Testament examples are people who are enemies of God. When Korah rebelled against God and said, I'm going to do what I want to do, Korah wandering around in the desert got struck down and all his followers. The example of Sodom and Gomorrah, the example of Cain, the example of Balaam, all those Old Testament examples uh, that give us insight that the audience was Jewish Christians. Jude knew that. The writer of the Hebrews knew that. And here's the danger of it. Here's why he had to. If you pervert it into something that it is not, you lose out on what it is. Brothers and sisters, Listen to Jesus' example of this. Grace abounds. It's not a license to sin. Celebrate the grace of God. If you are in one of those it moments, what's your it? You know what Jesus would say to you? Exactly what he said to the woman at the well. And the woman who was caught in adultery. Like that woman who had the stones over her head. And Jesus drew the line in the sand and he said, You who is without sin cast the stone. And when none of them did, Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Like Jesus knew grace abounded. But you know what Jesus left her with? Go and sin no more. Like you know the grace of God. Stop. It's not a license. It is forgiveness. And it is life-changing and empowering. And now you maybe get a flavor of the tough words that Jude was so compelled to write. Because he knew the danger that they could lose out on everything because they had perverted grace or lost out on Jesus. Which led to his call to action. Remember I told you I was going to come back to the second half of verse 3. I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to God's holy people. This was not just about a message that was personal for them. He didn't want them to lose their faith, but he didn't want them to to lose the faith. Like Christianity is not just an individual sport. Christianity is community. And Christianity is, is something that God has called us to pass along, to fight for, to speak to, to hold on to, so that the next generation knows Jesus. Like Jude knew there would be another generation of people that if they did not contend for the, the faith, the truths of God, that Jesus is the only way to heaven, that grace is a free gift but not a license to sin, others would be lost. And that's the call to action that Jude gives us. They're tough words. Believe you me, look at the truth I want you to remember. Faith is God's gift. The fact that you believe in God is his doing. 
God through the Holy Spirit strengthens it, preserves you in it, can keep you in it. He's given it to you. But defending the faith, which is the different word here, it's the article, is our responsibility. Like the faith. The, the truths that God in his word reveals. It's our job, responsibility to defend it, to teach it, to hold on to it, to speak up for it, to not let people secretly slip in. And when we see it, to call it what it is. That when we see someone going down the path, they're maybe falling prey to the license to sin and, and you're like, not my responsibility. They'll get over it. It'll be okay. No, see the danger. See the struggle. Speak up for it. Contend for the faith. It's our responsibility. And I know that's big and that, that is a tough job. But you know why it's important? It's not just your salvation on the line. It's theirs. Like the ones of you who are sitting next to your kids. And it's theirs. Like that two-year-old right there who's my, my granddaughter who's going to way outlive me. Like contend for the faith because of them. Like you know them. Your neighbors, the ones who didn't get up this morning, the ones who don't know Jesus, the ones who, who don't know the truth, who need to hear about it, them. Like J Jude knew how important it was to contend for the faith because he knew what having faith meant to him, how life-changing it was for him, and how God wanted all people to have it. It's why we value 200 proof grace and truth here at 92. Have you ever heard that value? If I don't communicate it enough... It's on our sheets. We talk about it all the time. You know why we use that title, 200 Proof? It's not because we want you to go and drink 200 Proof alcohol. That would be really bad. Like, that's 100% alcohol. It's pure alcohol. There's nothing taken out of it. We use that terminology because that's what we value here at our church. 200 Proof, 100% grace, what it is, God's gift, what it means for us, what it does to us. And what it isn't, a license to sin. 200 proof grace. We want you to hear it. Your sins are forgiven in Jesus. He paid the price, but don't abuse it. And 200 proof truth. This is his word. This is what he says. And in our world, there are so many churches that call themselves Jesus and Christian. You need to know the truth. If you want to contend for the faith, I, I got resources. Maybe this is a way you can, can find it. it. It's your responsibility how many of you have picked up one of these books of Pastor Mike, The Basics? If you haven't yet, we have a bunch of them. We'll buy more. Take one home. Read these truths so that you can t contend for the faith. Know what the truth is. 200 Proof Grace and Truth. If you want to go a little bit deeper, this book, Prepared to Answer, there are two volumes that our publishing house has a lot of great questions and a lot of great answers about the Bible and things people want to know so that you can defend the faith. Grab one of these. Pick one of these up. If you want to borrow mine off my shelf, you can get it today. Pastor Mike wrote a book, book What's Big, Smart, Small. It talks about how do you have a growing faith, one that can contend for the faith. There are all sorts of resources out there that we can direct you to to do that and carry out that responsibility so that personally you don't lose the gift and so that others know the truth. Because when you contend for the faith and when that gift of faith is not stolen by others. You enjoy the fruits. Here's my tender moment. Soak it in, because I'm almost done. Remember who, who Jude was writing to, what he called them? 
You are a believer. You're struggling. I want your radar sign to go off. I I want you to see these dangers. I want you to contend for the faith because I don't want you to forget your or lose your identity. You've been called by God. You are loved in God the Father and you are kept for Jesus Christ like heaven is yours. Mercy is love and compassion, peace. And that love be yours in abundance. Brothers and sisters, contend for the faith because God longs for you to enjoy those things now and for eternity. And the reason they're yours is because of Jesus Christ. And the reason you own them is because of the grace of God. So let's value 200 proof grace and truth. And let's celebrate that 2,000 years ago, this little book with 20 plus verses was a half to moment from God through Jude to you and to me. And may we be compelled to be like Jude, that we had to, just like him, contend for the faith. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for grace. There are people right now, Lord, who are caught in an it. Like, I know it's wrong. And there are people struggling with its pet sins that rear their ugly head. And there are, Lord, are some who are overwhelmed with guilt because of past it. I don't know where we are at on the spectrum, Lord, individually, but I know the power the devil would love to weave. He'd love to pervert grace and ill license to sin for some. Lord, I pray that those who are on that path today have been stopped by Jesus' words, sin no more. For those who struggle, Lord, I pray that they hear Jesus' words. Grace abounds. You're forgiven. Uh, The power of the Holy Spirit at work within you can, can help you overcome. For those of us, Lord, who are carrying guilt, don't let the devil get a foothold and and convince us that Jesus isn't big enough to forgive us. We're forgiven. Because, Lord, we need to contend for that faith. The truths of who you are, your love, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his death on the cross, his coming for us so that we might come to heaven one day. Lord, we need to never let that be watered down or diluted. 200 proof, grace and truth, Lord, we strive for. Give us courage to defend it and faith that holds on by the power of the Spirit. Lord, we pray for this in your powerful name.